Hello. I can tell you that the end of the song tells you that the extra fun begins right about now. I have to be honest with you, though. First off, hello, everybody. Hello to people here in person and to people that aren't able to come and are online. We welcome you as well. But I will tell you, you know when the fun began today? It began at 9.15. I'm telling you, that prayer time and the encouragement time and the words that come from the Lord during that time, you might have come in from an argument. You might have come in just having a terrible, no good, very bad day. When you hit that door and you have fellow believers saying, let me tell you the truth of who God is. Let me encourage you. Even if you can't hug me, I can hug you. And if you can't find someone to hug you, Loretta is right there, and she will get you. Sometimes you have to say, okay, enough. But you know what? Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you need a Loretta hug, and nothing else will do. Is that true? So, Loretta, thanks for blessing us with the ministry, oh, hugs. She makes you know that you are welcome. We are excited about getting together here. And, you know, we were talking about in their prayer time that sometimes the horizon or what, what you look around or when you look inside the landscape that you have in front of you is not always full of beautiful roses and blooming flowers and, and delightful smells, right? Sometimes it's not looking so good. But God. But God. And that's what we're going to do today. Um, I, I took a peek at the songs that we're going to sing, and one of them is the song, Gyra. And I don't know about y'all, but if you haven't heard what that means, Gyra means what, Suzette? The provider. He provides. It is in his character. It's one of his names. And every time we call that out, he says, let me show you. You call me that. That's right. That's right. Let me show you. I am the provider. So if you're able to stand with me, we're going to celebrate, we're going to honor, we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to talk about the provider, and we're going to speak to our spirits about the provider. So if you want to join with me, we'll pray and get started. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you that you have promised us many things. The biggest to me is that you will never leave us, that you are always here. So you have showed up for our time of worship. And you show up even when we don't even know what to say or what comes out of our mouth is sputters. But Lord God, we ask that you would be delighted in the presence of your people and we will delight in you. So it is a love affair time and we will rejoice in you. We will rejoice in you, Lord. To this time, we commit our hearts, our spirits, and our voices. In the name of Jesus, amen. Till I lay my head 
wrap worship up. Um, I was reminded of a story, um, shared this many, many times at DCF, so you've been around, you heard it, but here's the short version. Uh, there was a place in our lives when um, the downturn in the economy, 2008, I think, and uh, I was struggling, had had four jobs in two years because companies would just shut down. It was a mess, financially especially, and I was sweating it because I grew up poor, and so I was always trying to grab enough <laughs> I don't know if you know this, like when, when you're poor and something is provided to you, you hoard it typically and you hold on to it and you don't let anybody else touch it because you're so afraid that you'll, you know, you don't know how long it's going to be until you have that again, right? And so that was kind of my experience. And the Lord used that, uh, that moment. I was complaining. I was in a service and I was complaining, Lord, you know, you said you'd take care of me. Ah, 
whiny, whiny, whiny. <laughs> and, and I remember just the feeling of God you, you, not really saying he was a liar, but implying it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever done that. It's probably just me. And uh, my pastor came down from the platform, and he walked over to me, and he said, Dave, he goes, I was going to share this with you later, but I felt the Lord say, do it right now. Isn't that, isn't that hilarious? I knew it was coming. I was like, uh-oh. And he said, uh, someone gave a check, gave you a, and Karen a check, um, and it's on my desk. He said, um, I'll, I'll, you know, you can have it, obviously, after the service, but it's, it's been on my desk. And he said, and it's $5,000. I was like, all that stuff I said about you, Lord, I totally take that back. I, I didn't say that. What, what happened was I was embarrassed, if I'm honest. I was embarrassed because I, I hadn't trusted him. And, and, and the thing is, he'd shown me enough, really, if I'm honest. He had shown me enough times that I could actually trust him. He, that he had been my provider the whole time. And I had just not disciplined myself to say that it's true and then act accordingly. And I feel like maybe this morning, that's maybe, it might be where you are. Where, um, you know, the enemy comes in. The very first thing the enemy does to mankind when he's made and God's walking with him in the cool of day says, Did God really say so when you hear that question, did God really say he's going to take care of you? Did God really say he's going to provide a job? Did God really say he's going to provide the finances? Did God really say he's going to heal? Did God really say, and just the list goes on and on and on. And, and so the question's always, did he say it? So here's what you have to do as a believer. Is as a believer, you have to look the devil in the eye and go, yeah, he really said it. Now shut up and get out of my face and, you know, whatever I'm dealing with, I'll deal with it. But I'm not dealing with it with you asking me that question anymore. So shut up. <laughs> stop talking. You know when the devil stops talking? When you stop listening to him. That's when the devil stops talking. So if that's you this morning, we're just going to do that course again, just Chira. Because this is what, it, as, um, you know, as Diane said as she was opening, that, that's kind of the word over us this morning, that I will be your provider but you have to make a choice because so often you don't see it until, until it happens. But if you see it happen enough times in other people's lives and then enough in your own life, at what point do you get to keep answering the question or wondering when the question comes, did God really say? How long do you think you get to keep saying that and be honest about it? And the answer is not long, is it? <laughs> so it's not designed, this, this word's not designed to... to beat you up. What it's designed to do is challenge you and go, okay, as a disciple, I have to, at some point, just say in this arena of God's provision, I've seen it enough times to now know it's true. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to declare that it's true, and then I'm going to watch God do it and work it out, maybe in a way I'm, I'm hoping and expecting for, maybe in a way I'm not. But what I've discovered is when you do that, all of the anxiousness and the anxiety that the enemy throws at you just goes away. Um, my friend Robert lost his job. He's a good friend of mine. And he said he lost his job as a career. So it's not just a job as a career. And he lost, lost his job. And he said, I went and drove over to a parking lot. And he said, and I just screamed and cried and, you know, ranted. And he goes, he goes I didn't really mean to do it at God, but if I'm, if I'm honest, that's what I was doing. And he said, as he was doing that, he said, I kept hearing the voice of God in the back of my mind going, can I, can I say something? And he's like, no, no, Lord, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so he said he kept going for a while. He said, I do that. I did that like two or three times. 
And he said, finally, I got to the end of my rant, and he, he said, I heard the voice of God say again, Robert, can I say something? And he said, yeah, Lord, what is it? And he goes, nothing's changed. Now think about that for a second. All the circumstances showing that everything had changed. But God was like, what's that got to do with me? Right? And so the thing that God's trying to say is, he's your source. Everything else, your job, help from other people, whatever that is, that's a resource. And if the resource dries up, doesn't mean the source has. So I want to pray over us. And again, as we do this last, this last uh, chorus, would you do some work this morning as a disciple? Would you just kind of like go over that in your head and go, I really need to come to a decision and take this the right way. Stop whining and complaining. <laughs> that's, pastoral, that's a pastoral way of saying, you know, quit it. Stop it. <laughs> so God wouldn't ask you to do it if you couldn't do it, right? Because here's what happens. The moment you get that in your heart and you settle that as a disciple, the enemy will bring up the question a million times more, but it will never affect you the same again. Amen? So let me pray over us, and then we're just going to do this for just a minute. And I would just say, do some, do some work with the Lord this morning. So Jesus, would you, would you as you challenge your disciples, Lord, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Lord, you've challenged us this morning, not because you're trying to be mean to us, Lord, but because you're trying to get our attention, trying to challenge us to take away the pain and the heartache and the brokenness that the enemy tries to bring through the questions he asks, Lord. But Lord, you are ever faithful. You were faithful long before I ever met you. You've been faithful in generations past. You've been faithful to our forefathers. You've been faithful to everyone that we've seen, Lord. Why would you stop being faithful to me? And the truth is you won't. So I settle that in my heart right now, Lord. I say you are Jireh. You are source. You are the provider. You are the one where everything comes from. Everything else in my life is just a resource. So, Lord, I just honor you as a source I put my trust and my faith in you, Jesus' name. So let's just worship a little bit longer. It's so good. I've said it a, a zillion times, but God is a God of details. So we tied together the prayer time 
and the worship songs even and things that we've been hearing. Um, one of them was in our prayer time, and I just want to share it with you as a period to the end of a sentence or a dash, however you want to, whatever the grammar that's correct. It's Psalm 27, and I'm going to read Amplified Version. Not my usual, but Amplified. It's Psalm 27, and it's 12, excuse me, 13 and 14. 12 talks about a really bad situation. People were lying and bearing false witness. The enemies were going after him, which some people can really relate to right now. But in the middle of that, he said, they breathe out violence. It's like someone had it out for me right? And then he said, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for and confidently expect the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. expecting him is action it's not just crossing our fingers and hoping is he going to come through we're expecting the God who is goodness to be our provision we cannot see it with our own eyes and that's okay because we are not our provision we are not our source he is so we wait and we expect with confidence that he is going to show up and show out. And the whole world is watching. They're going to say, how in the world is she calm? Is he relaxed? If it were happening to me, I would be crazy. And without the Lord, let's be honest, so would we. But he is our source. I love that. Other people are the resources, but he is the source. Do y'all agree that we are in the safest place ever, ever? Because we are connected to the source. And he says, I got you. I got you. I will bring it to pass. Does that put a smile on your face? Yeah, it puts a face, a smile on our spirits too, huh? Sometimes we have to tell our face that we're pretty happy about it. Well, I am thrilled that we had this time of worship. Dave is going to be coming up, and uh, we have some business to take care of because if you noticed, his partner is not here, and it's it's a big deal. She, he's going to explain where she is if you haven't heard before because she ain't not in Alabama. She ain't not in the United States. If y'all want to have a seat, he's going to tell us all about it. We're going to pray for her too, right? So um, some of you guys know Karen's actually, she's flying out today from Atlanta, and she's headed to Thailand, Chiang Mai, Thailand. And uh, they're doing a World uh, Without Orphans Forum, they call it. And so uh, people from all over the world, literally all, you know, I forget how many nations now, but tons of nations are coming in. And they're spending um, a week just working into how do you rescue families. And so there's a big part that's connected with government agencies. There's a big part that's connected with world, I mean, just literally worldwide, United Nations type stuff. And then also the church. The churches come in and for, for um, with COVID, what happened was they... they 
they actually saw the power of the church and the ability for the church to reach in and connect and actually bring resources uh, to um, people's lives where the government and agencies couldn't do it. And so, so there's a really neat thing that's happening literally worldwide. And so Karen was a part of that a couple of years ago. She went in a support role, praying for people. That's just kind of what she did the whole time. Spent her own money um, to go do that. She's also on this trip again. We're spending our own money. And part of the reason why is because we believe that that's what we ought to do with our finances. We ought to build. I'm going to be talking about the capitals in just a second. And how we invest those capitals into other things and see the kingdom of God grow. And so Karen is over there. She's actually been asked to speak at the conference, which is really amazing. So she's seeing greater influence. Uh, she's going to be speaking in one of the breakout sessions. And she's speaking about how to stay refreshed in spiritual warfare. So I've asked her when she gets back to speak into that as well with us as a church. I think that would be helpful. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray over her. And here's why. Uh, one, we just should. Two, we're sending her out. Like she didn't just go. We're sending her as a body saying, Lord, we're recognizing that you're not just doing something in Karen, but you're actually doing something through Karen. Um, and and it's, you're doing it through our church in many ways. And so there are ways as we go into this, we're talking about this as an eldership team, about how we can get more involved. We see connections with Bosnia and other missions uh, arenas. And so there's a lot of things that are happening. We're just trying to figure out what all that looks like. But in the meantime, we're going to pray for Karen. Uh, Karen, when, when you get enough, what you do is you start sharing it with others. You ever notice that? When abundance comes, the natural thing is go, I, I want to give that away. And Karen's doing that right now. She's traveling. It's going to be a crazy schedule. She's traveling. But when she gets there, she's going to be not just speaking in the conference. She's going to be praying for people. She's helping set up things. So she's going to be maxed out 100%. And her passion when she does that is that she's going to see transformation the same way we see it here in our local church. We're going to see that in the nation. So if you would, I want you to just pray with me for Karen uh, again, remember, it's not just Karen. As much as you love her, she's also representing us as a body. And we're praying into, Lord, what are you doing in and through this? And how is that going to manifest in our own city, in our region, and, and also in your life? So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just say thank you for, for Karen. <clears throat> Lord, um, I especially thank you for Karen. <laughs> but Lord, we just thank you for not just... Uh, what she does, but who she is. Lord, thank you for the prophetic gift that's on her life. Lord, thank you for her stewarding that well. Lord, to the place where there's not just enough for us, but there's an abundance to go out even into the world. And so, Lord, as she speaks into the lives of families, as she speaks into the lives of leaders, Lord, dealing with um, the orphan calls all around the world, God, would you, would you cause this to transform people's lives, transform their way of thinking, Lord, help them understand grace and rest and your provision, Lord, even in the, the greatest crises that they may ever face in their families and in their organizations. Lord, would you begin to do something in and through us to reach out and help build the family, Lord, here in, in our city, here in this region, as well as the world, Lord, would you begin to do something in us? Cause us to want to lean in, to hear your voice and hear your heart and what it is that you're doing in rescuing uh, not just orphans, Lord, but people with orphan spirits, Lord, people who feel disconnected or feel like they don't have a father. God, we see you doing something powerful, and we want to be a part. So bless Karen, Lord. Anoint her to speak your words. Let transformation occur, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I miss seeing her sparkly shoes. How about you? I mean, that's one of our, she's got some sparkle, and, and it's not just in what she wears. It's in her heart. And Alan and I were talking about um, how do we pray for Karen? And all, part of what I was going to add to that is she is an Energizer Bunny. And we just want an extra charge on that Energizer Bunny battery so that when she comes home, 
she's not going, I only have one little bar left, but that she comes back refreshed because she's been walking in what God's um, asked her to do and provided for her. So there's another provision. Um, speaking of provision, if you have not had the chance yet to go to dothancf.com, you will learn so much if you go there. If you're new to us or you want to learn a little bit more, you can fill out one of the connection cards and it will. It, we will get in touch with you. Someone will for sure. We won't bombard you. And if it feels like we do, just tell us and, and we'll, we'll step back. But there have been some people really invested in our website and more social media so that we can all stay connected a little bit better. And, and that's pretty powerful. Speaking of connection, there's something coming up that starts this Friday. Now, for some of y'all, and for me too, it's going to be a choice. When you finish your work week, because a lot of people work Monday through Friday, you're like, oh, I'm done, right? Well, there is a connection that can happen um, that's going to be at the Hale Home. Got to say that. H-A-L-E, home. And you can see any leadership or anyone that looks like they've been here a while, they can get you the address, okay, on how to get there. It starts at 6.30. So I would say come if you can. Already have already had your dinner. Um, just come be self-contained, but come and be blessed. There's going to be fun. It is not going to be something where you just sit there and amen. 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 It's, it's not that. It's, there's going to be some life shared. But you know where a lot of that life is going to be shared is amongst the group. And there's going to be a lot of laughter. So this is an intentional thing to put on your calendar. This Friday starts our community journey together for this season. And it is going to be at the Hale Home. We didn't want to put their address on the um, uh, website for obvious reasons. We could just imagine how that might turn into a whole different event if we did that, but you're welcome to do that. Um, the other thing that we always talk about because we celebrate it is this is a generous body. And we need to keep our investment strong. And that's where God says, but God. So even if it's feeling like, ah, I don't know, we find that God is faithful and he loves our generosity and faithfulness saying, I believe in you, I will invest in you. And you have a few different ways. You got the traditional box with some envelopes. If you like to use that, you can give through your bank and even do regular online banking, or you can go to the website and there's ways to give. So a multitude of ways to do that. But I love the fact that we're investing. We're investing and in saying we expect with confidence what you're going to do, God. And Karen is part of that. We, it's going to be amazing to see what God does in the middle of it. Our other investment that's pretty huge, and I'm looking around and seeing some cute faces, are our children. As you've always heard, we do not believe in a junior Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think they hear him better than we do because they're not complicating it. They just know that God loves them and he's there for them. But we have some wonderful teachers. I think Suzette is teaching and I'm looking out there. She's got beautiful assistants and other people that are working with the toddlers and the young ones. And we're going to go ahead and dismiss them to their classes. And then um, if you have if youth, they're going to be heading out over this way with the Woodhams. And then we'll just take a moment and um, Dave will be coming up and sharing a message with us. So we'll be right back. All right. Good morning, everybody. 
Um, turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to uh, Luke 16, 1. Uh, for you young people, that means go to your Bible app and do whatever young people do with Bible apps. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've had my Bible and my iPad for at least 10 years now. And so I preach from my uh, iPad that was really weird, kind of getting started thing. The first time I preached with an iPad, I knew it was going to fail on me, so I brought up my, my hard copies like, you know, old people do. <laughs> but so far, I've been doing it 10 years or so with an iPad, and it's never failed me once, so good things. All right, I want to jump right in because we've got a lot of things we want to cover today. Uh, we've been preaching a series called um, the, the Five Capitals. And so we've been talking about, like, uh, it's called Kingdom Economics, but it's been dealing with the five capitals. And we covered these, you'll find this in Luke chapter 16. So if you get a chance, Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13, is the story of what the Bible, uh, different versions label, the shrewd manager. Um, there's a couple of different ways they put it. They're trying to be nice when they write this in here, because when you read the story, it's a bit, um, it's a bit confusing, because Jesus commends uh, in this parable um, the, the story is a wealthy man's coming to his steward and he's, he's about to fire him because he's been mismanaging his funds. Uh, and so the next part of the story is the, the, uh, the steward or the manager goes to the people who owe his master money. It's not, they don't owe him money, they owe his master money. And he works out, deals with them. And through this whole process, he's talking about how he's investing. Like one thing he says really funny, he said, um, you know, I'm, I'm basically too weak to work. So when it comes to physical capital, he's like, I can't, I can't do that anymore, right? So he goes, I got to figure something out. So he, he uses intellectual capital. He comes up with these ideas. And one of them is I'll make a deal with people with their money. And so I'll invest financial capital, not even mine, but the, you know, the master's financial capital. And, and he says at the end of it, what I'll get is I'll be able to go stay with them. I'll be able to take advantage of the fact that I was kind to them or nice to them or help them out. And then they'll owe me one, right? So he's investing all these capital. So it's an interesting story, um, but it's, it's really interesting in verse 9. I just want to focus on this so we kind of get started. Um, this is what he says, and it's fascinating. When you, when you read this the first time as a believer, you're like, this, that can't be right. This is what, this is what the master uh, uh, says. He says, uh, I tell you, this is Jesus talking about the master. He said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. <laughs> so my question was, did Jesus just say buy your friends? And the answer is 100% yes, that's exactly what he said. But the context matters, right? And here's, here's a couple of reasons. The thing he's not saying, Jesus is not saying, that believers should gain wealth unrighteously and then be generous with it. In other words, go cheat people, do all kinds of terrible things, you know, be unscrupulous. And when you get money, use money to build the kingdom. That's not what he's saying at all. Um, another thing is, he, when he talks about unrighteous, it's in reference to wealth. It can be the means in acquiring wealth. So in other words, the, the, you got wealth through an unrighteous method, and then you gave your life to Christ, but now you still have the wealth, and like, oh, do you give it all away and start again? Is that what you, know, is that what you ought to do? And the answer is no. Um, Paul talks about that if you find yourself in a state of marriage, because he talks about single or married, which is better, you know, in the great scheme of things in the kingdom. And he said, if you find yourself married, that, that's okay. God, God can work in that too. It's all right. So don't worry about that. God can turn all this stuff around. So the, the five capitals, he, he lists these. Um, and the top two, the top one is spiritual and the second one is relational. And so this passage in, in, in the, you know, Luke 69, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So we're going to put these capitals up here kind of in order. This is, the, this is the right biblical order. We talked a lot about the order of the capitals last week and how different arenas get it wrong, how the business world, business world literally flips it upside down. 
financial capitals at the top, spiritual capitals at the bottom. Don't really believe most of them. They don't even include it on the list. Uh, academia, intellectual would be at the top, you know, that kind of thing. And so if you want to check that out and talk and see how that works, you can go back and look at that from last week. We also talked about like how you as a family, whether you realize it or not, you're building this capital, these capitals in some sort of order. Like nobody gets to opt out. Like you don't go, oh, I don't want to play that game. I've decided not to participate. You don't, you can't do that. <laughs> because you're alive, you are participating in the, uh, the kingdom economics one way, either for the, for the good or for the bad, you're doing it. It's either in order or it's out of order. And if you don't know what order it's in, I promise you it's out of order, okay? So you can go back and kind of look at this. And so we went after it in a bunch of different ways. But the proper order, again, is spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, and financial. So, so Jesus says, he says, take your money, which is the very lowest part of it, and invest it into building relationships. So he, he kind of skips through, like you see these, he kind of takes the bottom one financial, and he jumps up to the second from the top, and he says, take financial. That's, that, it's not that it shouldn't be on the list. It should be on the list. There's, you know, I, I mentioned last week two problems with money with believers is you don't think enough about it or you don't or you think too much about it. Both of those are a problem. But if you take money and you say, how do I use money to build the kingdom, to build towards spiritual capital, which we're going to finish our series with next week and talk in detail about that one. But this one he's saying, take your, your, all of these other capitals, especially the financial capital, and use it to, to build relationships. So why does he say that? And the biggest reason is because those top two uh, spiritual and relational, those, those two are eternal. Everything else on the list, it's not eternal. Physical, I mean, even though technically we'll be there physically, but we're talking about physical things in this world, time and energy and that kind of stuff. Uh, the intellectual, does that go into the next world? Yes, but in so many ways, we, we've learned that our minds should be submitted to our spirits, and so our intellectual capital is still way below that. Um, and then financial, of course, um, when the streets are made out of gold in a city, I don't think we have to worry about money anymore. What do you think? <laughs> like, how, how amazing is heaven that they, that they use gold like tar, right? I mean, you ever think about that? So that's the picture. So we're not going to have to worry about that. But when, you, when it comes to the capitals, the whole idea of why are you still here as a believer? Because people ask that question. It's like, you know, if it's all about grace and there's nothing that I'm going to add, you know, what can I do to make Jesus love me more? And the answer is nothing. You, you, couldn't, get any, you couldn't do anything to make, you love him, make him love you in the first place. How are you going to get him to love you more, right? He's not going to do that. So it's not about that, but, but you're still here. So if it's just about salvation, you know, in assuring your place in heaven, so to speak, then why is it that when you get saved, you don't just die right there and, you know, we just haul you out or we just kill you ourselves to save you from problems and headaches and all that good stuff, right? So obviously there's something going on that I give my life to Christ and then I'm here for a reason. For however much time I have now, then these capitals begin to work in our life whether we realize them or not. And, and God's intention was, I want you to build capital. I want you to take this life, in this, even in the broken world, and I want you to build towards something. Because the truth is, you are always building towards something. And we're going to end our message with how you build and, why you, and how you build and why that matters so much. But let me just give you some examples of how you can grow your capital in these arenas. So ultimately, again, you're, when, when we think about it, you have to grow them in order. You know, if you spend financial capital, you want to spend financial capital to, to grow up, to, to invest up. So think of it that way. So here's just a couple of examples. We'll take physical capital. Um, 
um, really kind of, this turns into a financial capital, but, but you use your physical capital to get there. So you, you use to get to financial capital, you use all the other, other capitals to invest into it. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, so if you, you work a lot of hours, so if you're starting a business, man, you're going to work a lot of hours in the beginning, right? If you're working a lot of hours forever, then you might not be doing it wrong. But everybody knows once, you know, in the first part of that endeavor, you're going to be spending a lot of time. It's going to be taking a lot of your energy. And it's a season, and a season of that kind of intensity is okay. You just don't want to do it forever. Um, the other thing is intellectual. You're going to take ideas. Maybe it's a product that you thought up. Maybe it's a gap in the market. Maybe it's something, it's a service that you can provide that other people won't provide. Um, I had a friend, he was a he was a pastor, but before he came a pastor, he worked construction. And he said, he said, I always love it when people come and go, it's really hard to find a job. He says, it's really not. It's not hard. He goes, yeah, but the economy. He goes, yep, still not hard to get a job. You're, it's just hard to get the job you want. <laughs> so he said, but what I've learned is if you go to a construction site and you find the foreman, and he said, just say this to him, and he said, you'll get a job. He said, just walk up to him and say, hey, look, um, give, I want to work for you, but I'm not sure what kind of boss you are, so I'm going to work the first week for free. You don't have to pay me, and that gives me a chance to find out who you are, right, and how you work. It also gives you a chance to find out who I am and how hard I work and whether you want to hire me or not. He said, and also, whatever on this job nobody else wants to do, I want to do that job. He said, if you say those two things to, to that guy, he goes, he will, he will hire you. And if, he, and if he can't, just go to the next construction site. He said, by the end of the day, you'll have a job. So it may not be the one you want, right? Maybe you're doing some stuff in sewage that you hadn't intended to start out that way. But he said, it never failed. Every time I did this, he said, generally within three to six months, I was the foreman on the job. And he said, the reason why, one, he says, there's a lot of turnover in construction. He said, two, he said, because I was willing to invest into this guy's, you know, business or his, his job site, and I was willing to work hard and show him, he goes, he would move me up. In other words, as he invested that physical capital, he got more and more financial capital. He got more relational capital because he, he grew in connection with the boss and so on. And so again, he said, it's not very difficult to make good money. And so he still did that. You know, he was a pastor before he became the senior pastor of the church. He worked every summer in, in construction to make money for certain things for his kids and different things. He would just always do that. So you can exchange your physical capital to get financial capital. So it also works backwards. You can, you can exchange, and this is what this one said, you can exchange your spiritual capital for all of the other four. And the world does it all the time, right? Like I said, the business world will, will, will expend spiritual capital. Their show capital is, has no value. So work on Sundays, you know, they, they don't care. They're never going to connect in community groups because they're just way too busy. They're building a company. And the list goes on and on and on. And so they're exchanging their spiritual capital for all the others. The challenge is all the others outside of relational, they're not eternal, and they're going to leave you wanting. So here's another one, um, growing your intellectual capital. I mean, we see this if you're going to school, you kind of get this. Um, you'll spend financial capital and physical capital, financial capital to pay for your courses. Um, you know, physical capital, you're going to spend long hours studying and list goes on. Um, it's interesting. You can build into relational capital as you do this. But what's really fascinating is some people, they'll build into a very few strong relationships in college. And then, um, and then that might be the, the, you know, the deep friendships that they have the rest of their life, right? And so maybe that connects into a business scenario later on because the relational capital you built in college, later on you're changing careers or something or changing jobs and your buddy sees some stuff on Facebook. He's like, hey man, uh, give me a call. I think I might have an opening for you. So let me give you an example. I was in, I was in uh, uh, Atlanta and we were youth pastors at the church. We were moving in different places of leadership 
and I was praying, God, open a door. I want to do, you know, I want to do pastoral ministry. I want to do that kind of thing full time. So I open a door. We're struggling with money, as I was sharing before, my, a little bit of a testimony. And I get a phone call from a guy named Ramsey McKeithen. Now, Ramsey was my boss at Terminex in Tyler, Texas, when I was planting a church there. I worked for him for several years, and I was the pest control manager. He, was, he, he ran the entire thing. I was the pest control manager, and we had a termite control manager. Those were the two highest positions. And so um, he loved me, and he, he was always fascinated with me because of my walk with God. And so he actually, actually asked me one time to pray for his wife. She was struggling with a pregnancy. And we prayed, and a miracle happened. And, you know, again, that kind of stuff, that spiritual formation inside of me, spending that capital, and he created um, relational capital. And then also the physical capital, where I was showing up on time, I was getting the job done, I was making things happen. That also related relational capital, and also financial capital, because he paid me well. So while I was in Atlanta, I get a phone call, and he said, hey, Dave, uh, hadn't talked to you in a long time. He said, I finally tracked your number down. He said, I have an offer for you. I was like, okay. He goes, um, our company just uh, was purchased by the main, they were a franchise, they were purchased by Terminex, the incorporated part. He said, and they just threw a bunch of money at me and said, take over the tri-state region. So he said, so I got a whole lot of money to spend. And he goes, I want to spend some of it on you. And I'm like, I like where you're going with this. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to, um, I want you to come work for me again and be my pest control manager. He goes, you're the best one I ever had. He goes, and I'm going to start you at double your salary what I paid you before, which was substantial. So that was kind of exciting. And then he said, and to start with, I'm going to send you and your wife on at least two cruises per year that don't count towards your vacation. You get your own truck. And so he just goes down this list, some uh, housing allowance, a bunch of different stuff. And the whole time he's talking, I'm, I'm weighing all of this financial capital that's being dumped in my lap, right? And what he doesn't know is I'm, before he even gives it to me, I'm about to spend all of that on spiritual capital. So at the end of the conversation, I said, Ramsey, man, I love you, but not going to happen. I said, I'm so sorry. It's not going to happen. And he literally, this is how he, he, he answered next. He said, don't tell me it's the God thing. And I said, 100% it's the God thing. He goes, well, he goes, I've seen what God's done in your life. So he goes, can't really argue with that. He said, if you change your mind, give me a call. Now that hurt. I'm just going to say right now that hurt because I was working at Starbucks for $8 an hour, Right. And so I was being offered this massive financial capital to, to, exchange, to exchange my spiritual capital because we had moved there on purpose. We'd come there to be a part of what God was doing in that particular spiritual family, in that local church. And I had in, we had invested tons in it, and it was financially not paying off. And now I get this offer, and really the offer was what I was talking about before during worship time. The offer was really, even though it was, Ram, I thought it was interesting that his name was Ramsey, you know, and, and the Israeli, uh, the, I mean, sorry, the Egyptian leader's name was Ramsey too. I'm kind of making the connection, try not to make too much of that. But I was, it was interesting that he was offering me all this and really what he was doing, it was the devil saying, did God really say? Did God really say to move to Atlanta? Did God really say that if you do that, I'm going to bless your family? Did God really say all those things? And my answer was, yeah, God really did say that but it didn't feel like it was, it was being said in the moment, right? So you got to know. So grow your intellectual capital. You can turn that into, again, schooling. At some point, though, you have to make a decision about intellectual capital because one of the challenges with really smart people is really smart people can be dumb. 
right? Because what's interesting about really smart people is the tendency is to focus in one arena. Like, like a PhD, if you, if you think of education, like, you know, you've got, you've got a, your regular high school and then your college and then you move, start moving up into master's, right? And so it's like your world just keeps expanding a little bit bigger. And as you kind of get into the master's degree program, then it starts moving more toward a point, right? Or maybe a hill in that kind of circle. It's like a little hill on top of the circle. And then at the very end in your PhD is a massive, you know, precision point. It's, it's deep, deep, deep study in one very specific arena, right? So when you meet people who have a PhD, don't be too intimidated. <laughs> I mean, in their, in their arena, yeah, be intimidated because I promise you they know way, way more than you do. But in just life in general, that may not be the case. And so part of what happens is people go after this intellectual capital and then the spiritual capital begins to mess with how you think. It, it, it's because this world is all about this world and God's world is not just this world, but it's the world, the unseen world too, right? And so the problem with that is it begins to transcend the physical arena, but especially in the intellectual arena, it begins to transform because in your head, you're like, I don't believe Jesus could walk on water because that's defying gravity and you just can't do that. So now what you're doing is you're taking your intellectual capital and you're investing it so deeply that you begin to lose spiritual capital. Now, I'm not saying just believe everything you hear. I think that's really stupid. But I've been around enough to see that God moves in supernatural ways. So when I pray for supernatural things, my expectation is that he can actually do those things. And so I'll learn how to hear him better. I'll want to learn how to walk in that better. So I want to invest my intellectual capital, not just into intellect, but also into the spiritual capital. You can kind of see where this is going, like how you invest practically in some of these arenas what about relational capital? Because that's the one we've kind of been moving towards this whole series. Um, we start our community group this coming Friday. One small correction, we, we, we talked about like ha having dinner together. So um, you can bring your dinner, bring enough for yourself and for others. That's totally fine. And we're going to do different things in this community group. But the primary thing that we're going to do is we're going to be together. And so part of that is, was like, what's the value that's being added for me? And I'm like, that's a really good question. So your, your thinking is, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to get out of this, right? And, and that's okay because there's going to be a lot that comes out of it. And we want to share that. We want to tell you about what are the, some of the things that you're going to get. Connections, building friendships, right? You're going to get community. You're going to get prayer. You're going to get resources where people are like, hey, I know some people who can do this and this person can do that. And they're connections. And all those things are valuable as you build community around yourself, right? Especially in the Christian circles. But the danger is that you just, all you ever think about is what's in it for me. Same thing for coming to church on Sundays. First of all, you can't come to church because you are the church, right? So how, how do you come to church when you are the church, right? So part of that is recognizing that what we're doing here isn't church. This is a meeting of the church. So you're the church, I'm the church. Y'all see where this is going, right? But the danger is because we think in that physical realm, we come on a Sunday morning thinking, I'm going to come to church. And the mindset is, What's, what am I going to get from this? And the truth is, you're going to get a ton. It may not match the way the world thinks about, you know, how you're going to receive, the way the, way the world thinks about uh, investing and receiving from the investment, the return on the investment. But I promise you, in the kingdom, it pays off every single time. And we've been experiencing that for 30-something years. So, so what does relational capital mean? It's not just what you receive, right? Because you invest in all these other capitals to get relational capital. So you are getting something from it. But at some point, what you're also doing is you're taking that relational capital and you're investing it somewhere else. You're invest, investing it into spiritual capital. You're investing it into something higher. So again, you can take your relational capital, you can create a network, and you can use it to make money. 
Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with investing the capitals in various ways. But ultimately what you're trying to do is build all of these capitals up. And as you build these capitals up and they grow, you're taking them all and investing them into spiritual capital. And Jesus, I shared this story last week, and we're going to finish up the series next week where we talk a lot about this, is what does that look like? And Jesus said two, two stories he told. One of them was he said a man, um, uh, he finds a treasure in a field, right? And so uh, what would happen in that, the reason why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us is like, what in the whole world is this random treasure in the field? No, no, they didn't have banks back then. So guess what you did with your treasure? you buried it, right? And so you would try to bury it places where you could go back and find it, but oftentimes people would bury their treasure. People who were older had been investing and building treasure up, financial capital, maybe it was gold or something like that, and they put it into a container and they bury it in a field and then they die and they, nobody knows where it is and then you accidentally discover it because maybe you're working the field one day and your plow hits it, right? And now you open it up, ta-da, there it is, Right? So now the, the story is he sees that and he says, oh, I'm going to bury this back in the field, cover it back up, right? And then what's he going to go do? He's going to keep working the field? Oh, no, no, no. He's like, I'm going to find any money that I can. I'm going to beg, borrow, and steal from all my family and friends. And I'm going to go purchase that field. Why? Because something in that field had great, great value. And so Jesus is telling that story about how you and I are to invest everything we have into that, in that scenario. Then another story he tells about the pearl of great price, right? And so he says, so a guy finds this, this he opens the, the clamshell, and there's a pearl of great price, sells everything so he can have that one thing. The whole picture behind this is Jesus is saying, whether you recognize the value of spiritual capital or not, he said, it is, I'm trying to teach you and trying to show you that it is worth it to take all the other capital and invest into that. So we're going to get into that a little more deeply as we go into it. But relational capital is a way that you do that. Where do you get relational capital? I get relational capital here. Like I, I, part of my community, not part of, most of my community is this local church. But we have community up in Atlanta. We have some community in Canada, have some community overseas, have some compu- uh, community in Texas, uh, out in California. We've got connections and community in places all over the place. But, but most of the reason why those connections, connections exist is because, because we spilt all the other capitals on that one thing. So Atlanta is an example. Um, when we moved to Atlanta, you know, there, again, there's a story behind all the things that happened there. But when we started to, to decide to move, Karen and I were making a six-figure income. We were living in Destin, Florida. It just doesn't get much better than that, right? We're near the ocean. It's just us. I mean, except for the traffic in the summer because all you tourists were down there. So we just hated that part. But the rest of it, man, was amazing. But something was empty inside of us because we weren't doing the thing God had called us to do. We were helping to plant a church there. We were, doing, we were serving all kinds of capacity. But there was something missing in what the Lord was wanting to do in our lives. And through a series of connections with people we worked with, right? So physical capital, going to work, created relational capital, then opened a door to other relationships that were outside of that local area that eventually connected us with a local church in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So we're like, this is amazing. We're going to go check it out. So we drove up for a weekend, went in, heard the message. The message was phenomenal. The, the guy who preaches there is a great teacher. So he's teaching into this thing, and the whole time we're just feeling it. Man, God's saying, I want you to come here. We're like, oh, we can feel it. We're crying, and the message is all about us. It's like everybody in the room didn't exist. The whole message was just for Dave and Karen. So we go up to the altar, and we're getting prayed for. And the guy walks up, and he prays for Karen. It was the first time a male leader had ever seen my wife's gifting and ministry accurately. 
And so he had a word of knowledge. He prayed over her and ministered to her. And the whole time that was happening, I'm over here crying because it was the first time that Karen wasn't intimidating a pastor with her prophetic gifting and big personality. And so he was, I was like, okay, that's different, right? And so I'm watching this happen and he's praying over her. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm just crying going, wow, God, this is amazing. I mean, what does that mean to Karen? That her whole life has been a struggle because people just didn't get her. And this guy got her instantly. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And his wife came over and they start praying. Now both of them get her. I'm like, well, if the leaders get her, who cares if anybody else does, right? And then the Lord speaks a clear word in my mind. This doesn't happen often, but this was one of those times. And he said, if you come here, I will bless your family. I was like, oh, that's wow. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> right, like we always do. And the Lord was just silent. It's like, you're going to have to trust me on this, right? So I said yes in the moment. I said, okay, Lord, we'll come. I don't know what that means, but we'll, we'll, we'll move here. I'm going to have to convince Karen, obviously, you know, so it's going to be tough because she's got a great job. So go down the list. On the drive home, Karen and I talked, and both of us said 100% we're supposed to move to Atlanta and be a part of this church, right? What we didn't know is um, that pastor and his wife went home that day and said, you know that couple we prayed for this month, morning? I'm, they're, coming to, they're coming to our church, and they're going to be a part of our church, and I'm, I'm excited about that. And so we found this out later that we both heard on the same day that God was putting this together, so obviously he was doing something. So we go back home, and now we sell everything. We quit our jobs. I quit my job first and move up and, you know, start the whole process. My wife eventually quits her job, and we move from a six-figure income to a not-six-figure income, <laughs> living in Atlanta where it was, it was really tough. And then the economy dropped out, and now it was even worse, and I'm now working uh, for Starbucks for $8 an hour, 20 hours a week. And I was like, you could hear the devil going, did God really say? <laughs> right? And then I got the phone call. It's like, hey, I want to bless you financially. Woo! It's like I'm going to double your income. Ah, did God really say? Right? And the pain and the heartache. Did God really say? And then that morning where I was complaining and whining to God, did God really say? And then Greg comes off the platform and he walks over to me and it's like, somebody's giving you a check for $5,000. I'm like, God really said. <laughs> right? That's not what I did. I just didn't talk for about two days because I was embarrassed. I was a little bit ashamed. And the Lord had to work through me, work, work in me through that. But the point was, all of that investment paid off. Because part of what's happening right now with my wife, she's again headed to Chiang Mai, Thailand to be a part of a world without orphans conference forum. And all of that happened through the relationships that we built in that church um, been almost 15 years ago now. So all of that came, everything that we're doing, us being a part of this church, the transition that we're going through as a church right now to grow and have greater impact, the leaders that we've sent out, the, the church plants that we've planted, all the things that we've done, all of that came through investing our lives into relational connections in the kingdom that eventually turn into spiritual um, capital, right? So that's the, the, the challenge that we're kind of working through. So what does that look like? Um, what does relational capital look like? And there's two arenas that really are helpful. One is um, playing, and the second one is purpose. So when you build relationally, if you, if you only build relationally with whatever the, whatever the outcome is going to be, you don't get part of the relational capital. Part of the relational capital is you get to enjoy it while it's happening, right? And that's the play, and, and Diane did a great job of, of talking about that. My, my wife, uh, I tell my wife to put her fun pants on sometimes, and then I realize she's never had her fun pants off, so she's just, that's kind of who she is. But she's really too, if you, if you get to know my wife, she's really a, a good indicator of those two arenas. She loves to have fun, she loves to play, she loves to kid around, she loves to laugh, she loves to do those things. 
But if you, but, it, but on the other side, if she is, if, if there's anybody more intense than my wife, I don't know them. <laughs> because when she gets into the purpose, which is the second part of the relationship, the f- first part is play, enjoy, connect. And, you know, the whole reason to have friendships is to enjoy the friendships, to give and take and all the things that, it, and laugh and all of that. It's just a joy. It makes you smile all the time. But the second half of that is who you connect with matters because what you should be doing is being on purpose together in the same direction. So this is why relationships are so powerful, why you tell your kids uh, why it's so important. Be careful who you're friends with. If you, you, know, if you show me your friends, I'll show you, I'll show you where you're going to be in 10 years. Right? That's the way it works. And so as parents, we look at our kids' friends and go, I don't like this kid for some reason, <laughs> right? Like he seems okay, but something in your, you know, in your parental spider sense is going danger, right? <laughs> so you're like, yeah, you're not hanging out with this kid anymore. And you, you know, look back later and go, boy, that was a really wise decision, right? Because you saw he could have taken your kid off the rails. And so that's kind of the, the thing that we talk about is there's two sides to it. There's the play part where you get to enjoy, but also the purpose part. So when we do our community group, we're starting on Friday night, what does it look like? It, it looks like play and purpose together. We're going to have fun. We're going to have good times. We're going to play some games. You know, we're inviting the kids, and so we want to do stuff with kids. The, the part where we're going to do the purpose part is going to happen periodically. You know, I'm, I'm going to share every once in a while. I'm going to share something about where we are and where the Lord's taking us and, and talk about what that means as a family. We're also going to talk about, you know, what the Lord is doing amongst us personally. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to do all those things. We're also going to think about how can we serve our greater community through our relationships. How can we not just serve in, in the local church? That's great. But how can we reach out with our relationships and begin to impact our city in ways that maybe wouldn't happen if we didn't do it together? Um, right now, my wife, like I said, is, is using that sense of purpose. She's part of something where she's enjoying her time with friends that, you know, she's connected with in Chiang Mai from all over the world. She's enjoying her friendships that she's had for 20-something years with the people from the church that she's launching from. She's enjoying the purpose of building into people's lives. But all the time, it's this connection of purpose and play and purpose and play, and it's all kind of jumbled in there together. And so that's the thing that we miss. We either pick one side or the other often, especially in the world. We'll say, I'll use purpose and I'll build a network that really what the network is for is for me to exchange those relationships for for financial capital. I will use you, right? Anybody ever been on Facebook and that friend you hadn't talked to for high school says, hey, I'd love to chat with you. You're like, no, I know what you're about to do, (laughs) right? We all know what's coming. It's like, hey, I'll be a part of my multi-marketing scheme. Like, no, I'm not gonna, right? So, but that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're capitalizing on relationship to use you. Nothing wrong with doing that when everybody's agreeing about what that looks like, right? So don't, be, don't, don't get into that kind of mess. But, but the flip side of that is if we don't enjoy it as we go, then all the purpose ever does is just, it's just gonna leave us high and dry, right? Because at the end of the day, what you want is a lot of people at your funeral, Right? And by that, I mean, you want people to, to have been impacted by your life, the relationship that you built into them, mentoring them, leaning into them. Also, from time to time, being in crisis where you're drawing from them because there's nothing that builds, builds relationship deeper than crisis, right? Those moments where God uses other people to speak into our lives. So you kind of get it. But let me say this, as we kind of move forward, part of that is mentoring and being mentored. It's being, it's, it's being honest about where you are in relationship. So uh, one of the things we do here at DCF is we, we have a value called friendship before function. So the reason we do that is so often in the church world, 
um, things were hidden behind titles and, and, and uh, you know, and, and like Pastor Dave, you know, and so uh, you have to call me Pastor Dave and you have to show me respect and honor, you know, because it, it's just part of it, right? It's part of church world. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, honor, the Bible says give honor where honor is due. So nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with calling me a pastor. But if you're a plumber, I'm going to call you plumber. So if you call me Pastor Dave, I'm going to call you Plumber Joe, right? That's what I'm going to do because I'm going to try to teach you that just because I have a title and a position, that's not how you know me. <laughs> that's a part of my function, right? But our friendship should come before function. In other words, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. I want, I want to do life together. I want to, do the, I want to build the kingdom together. I want to invest our, our capitals together, right? So it's going to be very, very difficult for me to do that if I'm hidden behind a position and a title. However, it's going to be very difficult for you to receive from me unless you see me accurately. So if I'm a mentor to you, then let me be a mentor. That means there are going to be times when I'm going to challenge you, and, and you know, that's going to be tough, right? But, but I'm going to do it not because I like challenge, but because I like what's on the other side of it, and I love you. You see this with kids. One of the worst things you can do with your kids is be their friend. Let me say that again in case you missed it. One of the worst things you can do to your kids is try to be their friend. They don't need a friend. They need a parent. You can be their friend after you've been their parent. Moving on. <laughs> now, why this is important is because, again, if, if the, the, the responsibility and the role that God's given you to play is hierarchical in, in some sense. In other words, it's like it's the spiritual capitals. They need to come in order. And there's nothing wrong with being friends with your kids because at some point, you would like, I would hope, would like to have a lifelong relationship with your kids and then their kids so you can spoil their kids rotten and teach your kids. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like you want to be able to do that. But if you don't do this well, then in your friendship, you won't say the challenging things and they won't be able to hear the challenging things. I, one of my favorite stories ever, this guy came to me and said, um, I cannot do anything for my kid. I just, I need help, man. I need help. I can't, I can't do anything with them. And I'm thinking they're 17, 18 years old, getting ready to move out of the house, you know, and it's that dynamic going on. Oh, no, they were two. <laughs> so I just said, um, how much you think you outweighed them by? And he's like, what? I said, I'm just guessing. 100 pounds, maybe, maybe 200, maybe 250 if we're honest. <laughs> right? So I said, so if they won't do what you tell them, sit on them. <laughs> So, true story, I don't have kids, right? So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Maybe I got it all wrong, and maybe you're right. Maybe this friendship with your kid, that's going to work out great for you. It's not, but anyway, moving on. I said um, to this lady, she asked if I, if I would help watch her kid while Karen went out, kind of ladies' night thing with a uh, bunch of people she worked with. And I said, I, I'm, I'm not real comfortable with that. One, because her kid was a terror. And two, I said, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable because what do I do if they misbehave? And she's like, no, no, it's fine. She goes, I mean, you know, don't spank them, obviously. You know, that's, we don't do that. I'm like, obviously. So <laughs> she said, but, you know, whatever you need to do. Just, you know, don't hurt them. I was like, fair enough. I'm like, I think I can handle that. So they left, left me with that child for the evening. And so after a little while, this child, you know, was having fun. We were having a good time. And then the child said, oh, uh, it turns out I'm in charge. And so they tried to run the evening. And part of that was they wanted to tear some stuff up in my house. And I was like, hey, hey buddy, let's not do that. And so, hey, buddy, let's not do that lasted for about two seconds. And then, hey, buddy, started doing that. And then I said, hey, hey, buddy, you're not going to do that. That was a different thing than, hey, let's not. I was trying to be kind or I'm trying to be sweet. I'm trying to be his friend. 
at some point, I realized we need to change the dynamic of this relationship, right? He actually thinks he's, he really thinks he's in charge. I'm like, that's amazing to me, but it just shows his immaturity. So I said, so you're not going to do that. And, he, and this is what he said, what are you going to do if I just keep doing it? I said, let's you and I find out. So he found out, <laughs> right? I knew it was coming. He found out. So he kept trying to break stuff in my house. And so I told him to stop. And then I grabbed him and he tried to rip his arm away from me. Again, I outweighed him quite a bit. So I just stopped him. And then he tried to headbutt me. And I'm like, okay, we can't be doing that. So I, I turns out I was a martial artist who knew, but I did. And so he did not. And so I put a move on him, put him on the ground. And then I sat on him. Okay, and so I've just got his arms under control, and I'm just, I'm sitting on, down by his knee, so he can't kick me, he can't headbutt me, he can't, I got his arms up here, and now he's screaming, and he's saying curse words I thought I'd learned, but these were new curse words to me, and I was like, whoo, you know, it's like, do I cast the demon out of this kid, what do I do next, right, so I'm going through this whole thing, and I just realized, I'm like, he has, it has not dawned on him yet, his predicament, <laughs> he is unclear about our relationship. So I'm like, I wonder how long it's going to take for him to become clear. Can I tell you, it took 45 minutes for him to understand this new dynamic in our relationship. So you know how long it, I would have, I would have, here's the truth, I would have gone for days. I'm like, I don't, I, you know, how long can I go without water? Three days? I'm here. I am, I said, dude, I love you so much. I am committed to this relationship in this new dynamic, right? He did not know. And so I literally sat on him for 45 minutes. And, I, and all I said was, I said, he said, you have to let me up. I said, I'm not going to do that till you do what I'm telling you. Are you going to do what I tell you? No, then I'm not letting you up. This is how this works. See how this is reality, right? It's not what you want it to be. It's what it actually is. So we go through this whole thing for 45 minutes. He screams, he, he tries them all, right? He tries all, goes through all the emotions known to man. And he finally gets to the point where it kind of dawns on him. He's settling and he goes, so you're saying... <laughs> If I just do what you tell me, you're going to let me up. I'm like, that's it. I said, are, are you willing to agree to that? I said, now, if you say you're going to do what I tell you and then you don't, we're going to be right back here. You understand the dynamic now, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so where are we on this? He goes, I'll do what you say. So I instantly let him up. And he lay there for a second and he just stared at me. He goes, literally, that's all I had to do. I mean, I could see it in his face. He's like, that's all I had to do. <laughs> the rest of that evening was the best time I've ever had with a little guy. We went and had such a great time. You know why? Because the dynamic had been settled. Now, why is this important? That's investing in relationship. <laughs> now, I'm not saying do this to your wife. I think that's a bad idea because relationships are dynamically different. <laughs> but I am saying when it comes to understanding where you are in the relationship with your kids, understand that sometimes they just need to learn to do what you tell them. They don't need to, to know why. So if you're trying to explain the why to a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a three-year-old, maybe even an eight-year-old, stop. Stop it. And the same thing is true when you're mentoring somebody in a relationship or being mentored by somebody. Understand the dynamic of the relationship. Do they have something to bring to you? Because if they do, relate to them accordingly. Honor them. The Bible, the Bible teaches that honor is the mechanism for your inheritance. A couple of scriptures. One of them says, um, says if you honor your father and your mother, that you'll, you'll live a long life. You'll prosper and live a long life, right? If you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, what do you get? A prophet's reward. So what Jesus is saying is that if you honor someone for who they are and what they've accomplished and what they have inside them, the, the dynamic that's inside of them, if you honor them appropriately, you get to hear and receive that as a gift. 
they got that at the end of their sword. They fought a battle, maybe tons of battles, for that dynamic to be true about them. Their self-discipline, their success in relationship, their marriage relationship, their parenting skills, whatever that is, they have a dynamic that they paid a heavy price to get. And you get to get it for free, but not really for free. Because if you dishonor them, then what happens is eventually, because I know this is true of all mature people, when you try to share truth with someone and they don't receive it, you try a few more times because, you know, you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. But eventually, you know what you do? You just go, okay, apparently they're going to have to learn this at the end of their own sword. But in the meantime, I've been in that battle. I won, and I'm not going in this battle again with them. So you say, have fun, <laughs> right? Good luck with this. You think you're going to, good luck. And a lot of times it's not even a conversation. It's just something that happens. But the people that I've discovered both in the people I've mentored and the people I've been mentored by, when you honor it, you get a massive gift for free and you launch, that's, that's their ceiling, but it becomes your floor. So this true story happened to me in Bible college. There was a prophetic guy. His name was Tommy. And Tommy was starting to take a mentoring role in my life and he came up to me one day and he said, um, hey, I, had, I have an observation. Could I share it with you? which is a translation from a mentor, I'm about to challenge you and you should listen, right? I'm about to help you. You're probably not going to like it, but I'm going to help you. So he said, uh, I have this observation. He starts telling me certain things about how I'm relating and how I'm doing some things in my marriage and different, a couple of different things, all similar, but along the same vein. And I'm listening. Every time he would kind of finish a point, I'd go, yeah, I know. He'd talk more. I'd go, yeah, I know. And a little more, yeah, I know. And I was in his office and we were sitting, you know, sitting, uh, he was sitting at his desk. And I said, yeah, I know, one too many times. And he slammed his, his hand down on his desk, scared the bejesus out of me. And I was like, ah! And he, he looked me right now with this prophet, I can't explain it, but this prophet kind of face. And he said, you don't know. That's why I'm telling you. Now shut up and listen. And I was like, oh, that's how this relationship is going to go. <laughs> so here's the problem. He was trying to be kind. He, he was a great man. He was trying to be kind. He was doing everything he could. But in my immaturity, my stupidity, I was making excuses. I was not taking it seriously. There was a whole lot of dynamics going on. And he just took a risk and he said, I'm going to, as a man, it was helpful for me as a man, he got my attention. And when he did, it, it shook me. And I realized I, I'm being given a gift. And if I don't receive this, it's not on him. That's his gift. He's going to give it to whoever he can because he's a generous man. But it's up to me to decide, will I receive from this? And so at some point, what happens is the more you receive, the more you receive, the more you receive. At some point, you have so much of an abundance in your life that you don't anymore really need it all for you. So guess what you're supposed to do with it? You're supposed to give it away. So what, was been, what has been done for you? Jesus modeled discipleship with 12 men, invested in their lives. And as he did that, he poured into them in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. We see some stuff there. But he modeled not just character, but he modeled how you do signs and wonders and miracles. How do you have a relationship with God? He would, he would be caught up. They would wake up and find out he wasn't there. And then he comes back later on that morning. And they're like, Jesus, where were you? And he goes, well, I'm always on, you know, that early in the morning. I'm up out praying. I'm connecting with my heavenly father. So they're seeing this and watching it being modeled. They failed him numerous, numerous times over and over and over again. And at some point it began to kick in. He's doing this not just for me, but what's going to happen through me. And this is why relational capital is so powerful. 
um, if, you don't, if you don't really get this, you miss the scripture that says that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. But here's the danger. One, we use that, that scripture, speak the truth in love, just to be mean to people and say terrible things and nasty things and don't learn a skill set about how to be kind when telling someone a truth. But, but the other side of it is we don't, we don't really speak the truth in love. We just speak the truth. And, and Jesus, the whole point behind that is, he's like, if you don't say it in love, one, people, it's going to be very difficult for people to hear it. You've had those authoritarian people in your life, and could you learn from them? Yes. Was it difficult? Very. And as quickly as you could, you got away from that relationship and tried something else. But at the same time, if you don't hear, if you don't learn how to hear, one guy said it this way. He said, I'm tired of trying to get God to talk the way I want him to talk, right? I'm just going to start learning how to hear the way I need to hear him. So I'm, put, I'm stop putting the honest on God. You've got to change for me and go, Lord, I'm willing to change for you. And in so many ways, that's what our relationships are supposed to be like, that I have to learn how other people hear things. I have to adjust. I have to decide. I'm going to make changes in my own life so I can build relationship. But when I do it, something changes. So how do you do it? And I'll, I'll finish with this. It's just a single word. It's called intentionality. And all it means is intentionality is just the, the, uh, the space of being intentional, right? So intentionality has to be something that you build into your life to say that when I'm doing something, I'm going to be intentional about what I'm doing. If I'm giving to the church, I'm not just going to do it arbitrarily. If I'm serving in a community group or serving in a grace team, I'm not going to do it arbitrarily. I'm going to be intentional about the way I do things. So we've got community group coming up, right? And there's a reason why we're only doing one group instead of a bunch. And so we'll get into all that as we kind of go through transition as a church in this next year. But part of that is it's an opportunity for all of us to go, hey, I can invest in this. And so let's say maybe you work on Fridays. Maybe there's a real legitimate reason why you can't be a part of a community group. Maybe. Maybe you're in a season, that, and maybe that's true. But at some point, the truth is we're, we're just hiding behind the season. We're just, we're just not becoming vulnerable. We're like, our past has hurt us. And so I, I, because of that, I'm, I don't want to invest in people or I'm afraid of what might, people might discover because I care more about what people think about me than who I actually am. I'm, again, I'm afraid of being vulnerable. I'm afraid of, of you know, having to invest time that I'm thinking, I don't know if I have that kind of time. And, so, and I get all those things. But at some point, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision about being intentional. So I saw a, a video the other day. It was really interesting. A guy was filming a car in front of him. Through his, you know, it was a passenger filming the car in front of him. And every once in a while, that car would weave off to the side of the road and hit a bunch of stuff, and it would come back. It was a really nice car. And it was three or four times it did that. And then the last scene in the video is it's, it's laying sideways in a ditch. <laughs> and so I remember seeing that. I don't know why things go through my head like this, but I remember seeing that going, if I was the guy in the ditch, like more than likely he was on his phone. Like I'm, none of you guys do that, so that's good. But, but, you know, this happened. You're on your, you know, you shouldn't be texting while you're driving, but, you know, you still do it sometimes. And so that's what this guy was doing. He was texting, and he, we, oh, warning number one. Oh, warning number two. Oh, warning number three. Oh, in a ditch, <laughs> right? So the first couple of times was, it was an irritant at best, a little fear, ah, right? Did not heed the warnings. Now he's in the ditch sideways. And since he's on his phone, he may as well text for a wrecker, right? Because <laughs> now he's going to have to have some serious help to get his car out of there. There's tremendous damage done and it's going to take a long time to recover. And so the same thing is true for us. At some point, you see some warnings in your life about you don't have community, you don't have relationship, you're struggling, you're trying to do things alone, you're dealing with emotions in ways that you shouldn't, 
you, you feel alone, you know, you go through the whole list of all the things that happen when you are not doing the work of investing in relationship, investing your capital in relationship. And so all I want to say is, if you're intentional, maybe the first warning gets by you. You know, you hit the edge of the road, maybe the second one. But listen, if you don't do something by the third one, the ditch is inevitable, right? So, so what I'm challenging is, is I think there's a lot of us here who, who are saying, I don't know if I can invest in community group. I don't, you know, and let's skip that. That's a, that's a physical, you have to spend some money maybe. You have to, you know, get a different day off so that you can be there that night. I mean, you're, you're gonna invest some kind of capital to get relational capital by being a part of our community group. I get it. And maybe there's some legitimate reasons why you can't. But what I'm saying is, if you see those indicators in your life that the ditch is coming, it, it behooves you as a believer to stop what you're doing for a second and take it seriously and go, what do I need to become intentional about to make a change in my life? Maybe it takes three months. Maybe it takes six. Maybe you're at a dead-end job and you like to grow that, you know. Maybe there's lots of reasons. But what's it going to take for you to become intentional and do it? So let me leave you with this scripture. This is a passage in Matthew 7.24. New Living Translation paraphrase says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. That's the part all of us miss so, so often as believers. We listen to it. We turn Sunday mornings into, oh, that was a good sermon, Dave. I, I don't want to hear that was a good sermon, Dave. I want to see the things that I've said equip you and help transform your life and help grow the capitals in your life. So at some point, you find that field, you find that treasure in that field that is worth selling everything. You realize that that is the real value in your life and you sacrifice everything else so you can get that. That's what I'm after. Anyone who listens to my teaching, this is Jesus, and follows it is wise. He says, here's what that looks like. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So what's the bedrock? Hearing Jesus, knowing what he's talking about? No, obeying him. Hearing what the Lord is saying in your, this is the two questions of all disciples. What has the Lord said to me and what am I doing about it? This morning, I would imagine the Lord's talking to you about relationship and he's challenging you to obey him into something. Maybe for you, you're like, I'm going to go and be a part of a community group. I've never done that before. I'm a little scared because it's going to make me feel vulnerable. As I connect, ah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You have to make a decision about what, what you're going to build on and obey it. Here's the finish of this, this message. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it. So you hear God, but you just don't do what he says. He's foolish. He's like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So here's the kicker. You don't find out what your house is built on until the storm hits. Right? So the, the good news is there's some indicators. <laughs> so like I said, you, if you're driving, if you're texting and driving, the indicators are going to be you hit the curb. The indicators are going to be, you know, you might, you know, damage a tire. Some, some things will happen. It'll get your attention. But if you, again, don't, don't change it. Jesus is not saying, hey, um, maybe a storm will come. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying 100% a storm is coming. Life, we're living in a world that's broken in sin, right? And because of that, there's brokenness everywhere. We prayed into that this morning. There's turmoil. There's, you know, there's a scare of civil war. I mean, there's literally so many things that can frighten you. Even as a believer, if you're not careful, you can, get, you can buy into that. And, and what Jesus is saying is, the only thing that's going to protect you when the storm hits 
is not your house, but what your house is built on. And so I just want to challenge you this morning again. It's really not so much just about hearing it. It's about saying, as I invest in these capitals, because what I want to do is I want to invest these capitals up. So the last screen I'm going to show you is just simply, you take the bottom three and you invest them up into the two eternal ones. And you should always be doing that. And there are times when spiritual and relational will come back around and invest into those others so that you can even be more generous with your relational and your spiritual capital. The idea behind this is at some point, there's so much abundance in your life that almost all of it you're giving away. True story of many people I've read about some guys who started giving and test. They said, I'm going to test God. They started giving away 10% of their income as a business, and then 20, and then 30, and then 40, and then 50. At one point, a guy had given away 90% of his income. And his testimony, he wrote this in a book, his testimony was, the more I try to give away, the more God keeps pouring it back into me. And he said, I've discovered something that I should have known was true when I was given my 10%. He said, I've discovered that all God's really interested in is making me a river that he can flow his generosity through. He's the source. He just wants me to be a resource into people's lives, right? So as we go into this time in community groups, invest. That means, you know, you're going to have to spend some physical capital. You're going to have to come on Friday night. You're like, oh, I'd rather go home and rest. I know, me too. <laughs> And I'm the one hosting it, right? So I got I to gotta do all the cleanup and set up. I, not all of it. I'm going to make you guys help me do that. But, <laughs> but that's the point. It's like I have, we have to invest into it. And if you do, the dividends that pay off are unbelievable. Um, close with this. We just had a family move recently, um, Totsky and Kathleen Kurahara, and they moved to Mobile. And it was a wonderful thing. The way God orchestrated it was really amazing. But one of the things that happened is in the process, there was some uh, moments of lack and, and then, you know, trusting the Lord and, oh, God's going to come through because we know we've heard the Lord. Did God really say moments? You know, those kind of things. It was really interesting. We had several times people come and hand me money and go, hey, I was praying and I felt like God want, wanted me to give this money to the Kuraharas, um, but I don't, I don't want you to know who, I, I don't want them to know who gave it. So I said, yeah, but I'll know. <laughs> so I'm smiling. Like, I get to know all this stuff. It's so much fun, right? And that happened three, four, five, six times. And most of them, at least the first four, they didn't even know they were making a transition. And so they were praying, God, you're my source. Some of the resources I've had, like a job or whatever, I was, you know, downsized and I, I don't work there anymore. And now I'm looking at the bills that are coming up. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, plan, save, you do all those things. But sometimes things happen and, and it's beyond even that, right, for what you can prepare for. But what I love is this community, because they've been faithful in this community for so many years, not just giving, but loving and being loved and being part, playing and serving and all the different things that they do. And I watched as, they, as we sent them out to the next thing that's in their life, to them to build that same kind of community and invest those capitals into some other place, some other local church. I watched the body come back around them without even knowing it and going, God will use me to resource them. He's their source, but I love that he's using me. So here's the thing. The more God puts inside of you, right, the more generous you can be. So what I just say is, Lord, I want to invest until I have very little need myself because you've taken care of all those things. I want to finally be able to just pour out on a regular basis. And when we do that, there's no greater picture of God than when people see us as a resource 
and we point to the source. When I help or benefit something, they go, hey man, thanks so much for doing that. Why do you do that? Because I love God and, I, and God loves people, so I also love people, and so I just want to help. So as we move forward into this new season, I would challenge you, invest into relationship. With all the things that are happening in the world, man, you're going to need it. <laughs> that's a given. But also just the transition that's happening in your own personal life. By investing in this, it's amazing that when the return comes, it comes at just the right, just at the right time. So would you stand with me? Thank you guys for being patient with me. Again, a lot to get through. As we go into this last part of it, um, we're going to be talking about spiritual capital and how we invest in that and, and some, of the, uh, some of the kingdom dynamics that the Lord talks about. But also, um, that'll, our series will end next week. But um, the week after, we're starting a new series um, that's going to be designed to invite people to, to gear them up for Easter. So start now. Start investing into people's lives. Uh, if you're thinking about that neighbor, go, man, they really need Jesus. And, and God's like, you know, you have Jesus, so here's, here's an idea. <laughs> Why don't you give them Jesus, right? And so rather than being weird about it and you're not sure how to do it, just begin to invest relationship. And then invite them to Easter Sunday. Because, so, you know, the statistics tell us that when you invite a friend to Easter Sunday, 60 to 80% of the people will say yes, right? So it's a great opportunity for you to go, hey, come. I'll do the hard work of evangelism, right? So if you don't know how to do that, we're going to be teaching into that as we go, what it means to be on mission. But on that Sunday, we're really going to go after grace and what it means for God, what he's done. And, and not just your typical Sunday, because it's basically the name of the series is Things Jesus Never Said. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's taking a lot of the stuff that's coming on the internet and Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, and we're going to turn it around and point back to what Jesus actually said. So deal with a lot of myths and a lot of misunderstandings about the kingdom, about church. So it's going to be a great series to invite people to. So start investing now and go, who, who do I want to invite this to? My brother-in-law who said no a thousand times, maybe this time he says yes. You don't know. Don't say they're no for him. Amen? But let me pray for us. So Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, um, Thank you so much for investing in us. Lord, we look at all the, all the capital that you invested. Lord, you literally invested um, your whole life, Lord, on the cross. But it's interesting to me, Lord, that you literally invested heaven. Like you left heaven to become a man. You did not have to do that, God. You cared about us long before we ever cared about you. So Lord, help, us be a, help that be a lesson to us that the way you've invested in us, Lord, um, we can receive that investment from others. But Lord, more importantly, as we've been invested into we can begin to learn how to invest in others in the right way and in the right order. So Jesus, thank you for teaching us this. Lord, help us to walk in it in every good way. In your name we pray, amen. Um, before you leave, we're gonna have our prayer team up here. We put some words of knowledge up on the screen. Um, our challenge always as we pray for you guys is we pray and ask the Lord, give us things that maybe resonate with you. So maybe if you're hesitant about coming forward for prayer, Maybe this, one of these speaks to you. Our team will be up here. You guys can come up for prayer. And if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Actually, next Friday. <laughs> this Friday.